0: Good morning. Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows. "'Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. "'And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, "'I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise "'and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. "'On behalf of such a man I will boast. "'But on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. "'For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth.' But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness.'" Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, you are wise and you are good. And you are so gracious to us and so tender Father, draw near to us now in our weakness, in our sinfulness, in our foolishness. Purify us, humble our hearts to hear from your word. Grant us your presence, grant us your favor, grant us your Holy Spirit. Father, fill me with your spirit. And may your word go out with power to cause us all to come to repentance and faith. Father, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as uh, former Pastors College students, we're drawing near or nearer to the end of 2 Corinthians. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's largely a letter in defense of his own ministry. Uh, Here's the problem. Very impressive men, super apostles, men with letters of recommendation, had infiltrated the church at Corinth. And they had displaced the Apostle Paul and undermined his authority. And in so doing, they undermined the authority of Christ, who gave Paul to them as their shepherd and as their father in the faith. These men were not concerned with drawing the church at Corinth to Christ, they were concerned with drawing the church at Corinth to themselves. They were usurpers, they were deceivers, they were liars, they were false apostles. The Apostle Paul had come in the authority of Christ. He had planted this church at Corinth in the power of the Holy Spirit. He had sealed the work with his own blood, with his own sweat, and with his own tears. And these men show up with their pristine letters of recommendation, with their smooth talking, with their strong charismatic presence, with their fine rhetorical skills. And they slander the Apostle Paul and they win the whole church over. And the Apostle Paul will not have it. So this is a messy letter. It's a dirty letter. It's a bloody letter. But Apostle Paul throws everything he has into it. Throws the kitchen sink in. He will not let this church fall prey to these men. He will not let them be one away from Christ. He said, I've betrothed you to one husband, to Christ. And he will not let them be deceived or led astray from Christ. And so we pick up there this morning... In the midst of a very strange section about boasting. And uh, in fact, our passage begins with this boasting is necessary, but it is not profitable. And we know we're not supposed to boast as Christians, right? Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. So it's a strange thing that's going on here. But he says that boasting is necessary. Why is boasting necessary? What's he doing? Well, he's engaging in one of the favorite tactics of these so-called super-apostles who had come and infiltrated the church at Corinth. We learn throughout the course of this letter that these men are very fond of commending themselves. They're very fond of boasting in their strength and their gifts, of boasting in their spirituality, of calling attention to themselves. And so the apostle Paul decides he'll engage in a little boasting of his own. He says, in effect... These men came to you with letters of recommendation. They came to you with great strength and boldness. They had resumes. Fine. Here's my resume. And then in chapter 11, verse 22, he says this. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments. Beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. And on and on he goes. And then he says this in verse 30. If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. In other words, he says, okay... You want my letter of recommendation? Let me take off my shirt and show you my scars. He's shaming everyone. In a very similar way that, that he was shaming the church at Corinth last week in the passage that Pastor Bailey taught from. Remember where he, he was t- telling them, you're so wise, you're so strong, you've become kings and without us. Well, now he's doing the same thing here to these super apostles. And so we come to chapter 12, to this morning's passage, and we see him start to almost do some real boasting. The kind of boasting that we would expect him to do when he said, I'm going to boast. The kind of boasting that the Corinthians expected to hear, that they wanted to hear. The kind of thing that would have been attractive to them. He starts to tell them just a little bit about his experience of God. Visions and revelations, he calls them. And he hints that it would be no trouble at all for him to outboast these super apostles. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses." For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. He's talking about himself here. It's awkward and it's embarrassing for him to have to do this. And that's why, at least part of why, he's doing it in the third person. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, but he's talking about himself. Something happened to him, something great, something wonderful, something inexpressible, something too great for us to understand. And he doesn't tell us much about it. And what he does tell us, he tells us in very modest terms. But he tells us all that we need to know. The boasting of these false apostles is empty and vain. They don't have anything to boast of. They're a joke. Why is Paul's boasting necessary? Well, he has to lift the veil back. He has to expose these false apostles for who they are. You understand, it's a humiliating and embarrassing thing for the apostle Paul to have to do this. To have to say, to have to explain, to have to describe his experience of God. That's why he's constantly telling us how foolish he is. And as soon as he gets done, in verse 11, he says, I have become foolish. You yourselves have compelled me. You drove me to it. But he's not done with that either. There's more to wrap our minds around. He goes on and he says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, we don't need to try to figure out what the Apostle Paul's thorn was. There are all kinds of things in this passage that you know, people write about and think about and miss the whole point. We don't want to miss the point this morning. Okay? We don't need to know what the Apostle Paul's thorn was. There's one thing that we do need to know, and that's that God was intent... On keeping this man humble. Of keeping him from exalting himself. So so intent on it that whatever a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh is, it was sent to Paul. And though he pleaded with God three times to have it removed, God said no. We need to know this one thing. God was intent on keeping the Apostle Paul humble. With every greater grace, with every greater revelation, God gave him greater trials and greater sufferings to keep him from exalting himself. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, we see this theme. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He dwells with the meek and the lowly. With those who are contrite of spirit, who tremble at his word. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, the scriptures say over and over again. Let him boast in the Lord, not in himself, not in his great works for God. So what does God demand? What does God expect of his chief servants, of his chief apostles? Above all things, God requires humility. And he will secure it by trials, by sufferings, by thorns in the flesh. So we see this principle at work. Wherever God is pleased to exalt a man by drawing near to him, by displaying his power in him, by giving him grace, God is also pleased to humble that man with trials and sufferings, with insults and distresses and persecutions and weaknesses. This is the mark of a true shepherd. And it's why when the Apostle Paul is called upon to show his credentials... He doesn't go to his triumphs, he goes to his brand marks. He goes to his sufferings, to his scars. Now, let's ask the obvious question. If God's intent on keeping his servants low and humble, and if he does that work through disciplining us, through trials, through sufferings and hardships that expose our weaknesses, what are we to make of these pristine super-apostles? These men with their their perfect smiles, with their charisma, with their nice pieces of paper. They're self promoting, self exalting men out to make disciples for themselves and not for Christ. What are we to make of these men? They don't belong to Jesus and they're not his servants because God's servants will be humble. God will not have a servant who exalts himself. If the incarnation of our Lord, if Christmas teaches us anything, if if Christ, our God, hanging on a cross, teaches us anything, it should teach us that God delights to take great power and to veil it under a cloak of weakness. To hide it. Think of the men throughout Scripture. Think of stuttering Moses left to to die in the Nile. Think of David the shepherd boy. God will have the humble and he will have no one else. Now, if if this were a a Puritan sermon, this is the part that they would call the doctrine. This is the take-home point right here. It comes from verse 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. The power of Christ will only dwell in the weak. Or put the opposite way, clinging to your strength and desiring strength will deprive you of the power of Christ. Because God is a jealous God and he will not give his glory to another. He will certainly not give it to you. And this is the whole problem with the church at Corinth. This is what we see over and over. This has been the problem with them from the beginning. They desire to be wise. They desire to be strong. They desire to look strong. They desire to look like they have it all together. Every division they've had, everything, all of their problems is bound up in that desire. It's what the whole first letter that Paul wrote to them deals with. Using their strength, their strength to oppress one another. And that's why they were vulnerable to these super apostles who came in looking all strong and together. They coveted strength. Now why? Well, it's because it's what they lacked. They didn't have it. In the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them this. There were not many among you who are wise according to the flesh. Not many who were noble or mighty or noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God in his mercy had stooped down to these weak, stupid people. Fools. Weak in the eyes of the world. And he had saved them. He had done a great work. He had displayed his power in them. The whole point of which was that men would look and marvel at what God had done. But instead of embracing that, instead of embracing the glory of Christ's power, instead of dying to their pride so that God would be glorified, they just twisted the things of God and turned them into opportunities to exalt themselves. even took the table, the Lord's Supper, what we're going to celebrate here in a few minutes and turn it into an opportunity of exalting themselves. And the reality is we're just like them. You and I are just like them. We're constantly trying to be somebody. We're constantly trying to project to the world, to our friends, to the church, to the elders, to our professors, to our families, that we're something we're not. We're liars. I told the the college group this past Tuesday, that's the whole point of Facebook. To project to the world something you're not. You get to pick what people see. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is this. Do we really want the power of Christ to rest upon us? Do you really want the power of Christ to rest upon you? Do we as a church want the power of Christ to rest upon us? Is sacrificing the power of Christ resting upon us worth the price of our pride and reputation? Because that's what it'll cost us. Is knowing the power of Christ, is that a good exchange for the false and empty appearance of being strong? Am I making sense to you? You can't have one or the other, but you can't have both. Or are we ready to die to it all? So that with the Apostle Paul, we can count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, for whom we can say we have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that we may gain Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. How do we do that? We have, to start, we have to start where Jesus starts in the Sermon on the Mount, right, with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have to know ourselves before God. We have to know and see our sin. We have to see who we really are. And we have to confess our sins to God and to one another and we have to mourn over them and be humbled by them, be made meek by the reality of who we are. Throughout this passage, we see the Apostle Paul, a man who's humbled before God. He's boasting. That's the most humble boasting you'll ever see. And think about what he says If I do wish to boast, I'll not be foolish, for I'll be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. He's content to just be who he is. To let you see what you see, to let you hear what you hear. And don't let it be lost on you that he says what you see in me and what you hear from me. Just a few verses earlier, he's talking about the accusations of the false apostles. And what do they say? The Apostle Paul, his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. It's of no account. They were condemning the Apostle Paul for what they saw and what they heard. And the Apostle Paul says, fine. I'll let you see and hear you judge. I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am. I will be content with my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me humble man. Second, we must long for Christ's power to dwell in us. We must hunger and thirst for Christ's power to transform us, to purify us, to enable us to show mercy to others and to call men to be reconciled to God. This is, this is the engine behind everything the Apostle Paul does. You see it everywhere. He is driven to know the righteousness of Christ, to know his power. And he will not permit anything to keep him, to stand in his way. His sins, his self-righteousness, everything he has, gone. Gone. There's no cost too high. It's a man who hungered and thirsted after the power of Christ. And then lastly, we must embrace the blessing of persecution. Don't pity the Apostle Paul. Don't pity him when you read about his sufferings. Oh, poor man. Envy him. Envy him with a holy envy, a holy jealousy. And transform the way you think about suffering and persecution and weakness. Listen to how he talks here. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. With weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus tells us, blessed are you when others revile you. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward. In the book of Acts, the apostles are constantly being beaten. And they go about... Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. Stephen, I was just reading this morning. Stephen standing, you know, face shining like an angel. They're they're throwing stones on him and crushing him. And he's calling out to God to forgive them. What's that? It's not just the suffering. It's how you suffer. Is Christ better? These men were able to do that because they were men who knew the power of God. They knew real fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They saw God transforming lives around them constantly. They walked with Him. And the same God that gave them power to do great works gave them grace to endure great suffering, great anxiety, great shame. And so the question is, do you believe that the Holy Spirit will do that for you and for me, for us? And don't you want that? Be strengthened, have faith, for God himself says here... I'm not saying it, God says it. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Now lastly, uh, to those of you who are in Christ and are suffering right now, for those of you who belong to him and are weary, I know there are some of you who are suffering right now in ways uh, that are beyond me. But I want, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Actually, I want to let John Calvin encourage you. He's a man who knew suffering. And I want to let him encourage you in two ways. First, as I was, I was reading his comments on this passage, he, said, he says this. When we labor under any kind of infirmity, any kind of infirmity, we should remember that we are, as it were, being buffeted by the Lord to make us ashamed so that we may learn humility. And I simply want to encourage you who are suffering not to miss the lesson that God would have you learn. If he is afflicting you, he is afflicting you to humble you. If he is humbling you, it's to make you fit for his service. And that's a glorious thing. Painful thing, difficult thing, but a glorious thing. Second, during times of of suffering, during times of of trial, when you cry out to the Lord, it's tempting to think that your prayers are in vain. Three times the Apostle Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord. But I want to call you not to be a cynic. I want to call you to have faith. I want you to call you to trust God and to submit yourself to his will. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, says the Apostle Paul, yet God denied his prayer. About this, about this passage, Calvin says this, From this we should be warned not to be despondent when God does not meet or satisfy our requests, as though our prayer were wasted effort. For his grace ought to be sufficient for us. That is, it should be enough that he has not forsaken us. This is why he sometimes withholds from the godly in his mercy things he grants to the ungodly in his wrath, because he himself can foresee better than our minds what is good for us. God is wise, and He is good, and He is gracious. And He sees better than you see, and He sees better than I see. And He causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. All things. Let's pray.